friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. So now we're back uh, in our series on the book of James, and so I'd like to invite you to please rise from your seats, and let's take a look at James chapter 3, verses 1 to 5 at this time. And so, at the count of three, let's all read together aloud, please. One, two, three. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits into the horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Let's bow our heads in prayer at this time. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You and bless You for all the things that You've been doing to us, O God. Indeed, what the psalmist said is correct. Your loving kindness is everlasting. Your loving kindness is everlasting. And Lord, we do experience that every single day of our lives as we see deliverance upon deliverance, as we see answers to prayers, as we see, Lord, uh, your illumination, as you open our eyes, as you open our hearts, O God, to your truths, as we see you move in difficult circumstances, almost impossible situations, and we thank you, O oh God, because you are our rock. You've set our feet on a large place, and we thank you that we have security, we have stability, we have your protection, and we thank you that you preserve all our ways. And we come before you once again this morning wanting to have an encounter with you through your word. And so, Lord, I pray for myself, your servant, O God, that you might equip and empower me and go beyond my weaknesses, O God, that I might speak in such a way that it becomes clear to your people what your will is. May I speak the truth with passion and with clarity. May I be able to minister to the deepest needs of each and every one of us, Lord. And I pray that your name might be honored and glorified. So, Holy Spirit, accompany us in all that we do this morning, that we might have a fresh encounter with you. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, The Measure of the Tongue. After we just had our uh, Transformed in Christ conference, I must admit I was totally blown away 
most especially by the testimonies that they shared during the conference. Testimonies like that of Ricardo Hamarillo, a Mexican-American, who happened to have lost his mind. He was uh, given the drug PCP, which actually he was not, he did not know that he was taking PCP. His cigarette was dipped into PCP, and that caused damage to his brain. He was diagnosed as having schizophrenia after taking PCP, and he started to live in the streets. He became homeless. He grew long hair, and he grew a beard. And obviously, deep down in his heart, he must have been seeking for an answer. He must have been seeking for deliverance. And as he was crying out from his heart to the Lord, he heard the voice of God speaking to him. I don't know if it was an audible voice or an inner voice that he heard, but God spoke to him and said that you need to seek me while I may be found. And praise God, he found himself in the church of Pastor Walter Collis. And in that church, they thought initially that he was a terrorist. And so, Ricardo was saying that people started to move away from him. But then, Pastor Walter reached out to him. And to make a long story short, he was delivered by God from his insanity. God made him normal again. And the wonderful thing is he is right now testifying about the goodness and the grace of God in his life. Of course, you probably heard the testimony of Pastor Norman Chandler who I think at the age of 12 was already in drugs. And his family was a family of drug smugglers. I mean, can you imagine living in that kind of an environment? And so his uncles were actually the ones introducing him to drugs. And so he became an addict later on. And then later on, he moved on to being a drug dealer. And right after that, he started to manufacture drugs himself. He started to manufacture shabu. And so he found himself in prison. And in desperation, obviously, he cried out to God. God brought him to Pastor Walter. And I think he became connected with new creations. And as a result of his rehab, uh, this Christian rehab that he had, he was delivered, and now he serves as a pastor. Uh, just very recently, he wrote me on Messenger what books I would like to recommend to him as a young pastor. And I'm just thankful to God for the opportunity to be a part of his spiritual growth. And so I shared some books that he needed to get into, and he said, I will be getting into these things. So I was blown away by that as well. And then, of course, the testimony of Pastor Walter, who was formerly a heroin addict. He was telling me his story. As a young football player, he was involved in a car crash. And so that severely damaged uh, his knee. And that ended whatever ambitions he had in so far as football was concerned. I believe that may have been one of the reasons why he went into drugs. He became a heroin addict, got married to a Christian, and he verbally abused his wife. And what happened was 
his wife left him. His wife said, I, I am not going to divorce you because it's not biblical. But I cannot live under these conditions. So his wife left him. Eventually, because of drug overdose, he found himself in an ambulance. And while he was in an ambulance, he was asking this question, what happened to me? What has happened to my life? And I think because of that serious situation he was in, he started to cry out to God. And the rest is history. He is now a pastor of a mega church. And when I think about what has happened to all these people, I'm practically blown away. And I was telling myself, Lord, these are trophies of your grace. And that's exactly what we find in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians tells us that when we come to Christ, we become trophies of His grace. And this is for everybody to behold the, the miracle-working power of God in our hearts. And that is something that should blow our minds away, friends, because the truth of the matter is we cannot change our lives. We cannot change ourselves. We are too steep. I mean, we are too deep into uh, sinfulness. We are too deep in in self-centeredness and selfishness that we cannot move out by ourselves, by our own strength. But the grace of God provides deliverance. The grace of God provides forgiveness for our sins. And the grace of God provides a new life for each and every one of us. And what He gives us is a new mind. In fact, He gives us the mind of Christ so that now we are able to think of things that are lovely, things that are pure, things that are holy, things that are righteous, things that belong to peace, and things that belong to genuine joy. Those are the things that our minds dwell on because we are given the mind of Christ. We are also given new appetites when we come to Christ. And that's the reason why we start reading the Bible. The Bible used to be a very boring book. Maybe none of us actually touched the Bible. And if ever we touched it, probably it was for the sake of duty or maybe because we were given an assignment from our religion teacher. But then again, because of this new spiritual appetite that God had given to us, now we hunger and thirst for God's Word. We hunger and thirst to pray. We hunger and thirst to be with God's people. We hunger and thirst to come together in a gathering like this and to worship the Lord, to commune with Him, to experience intimacy. And we experience the joy of the Lord. We're given a new heart. And previously, we may have been people who were apathetic and indifferent, but because of this new heart that God has given to us, now we understand what compassion is all about. Now we understand what kindness is, what mercy is, what loving each other means, what forgiveness means, what reconciliation means. So this is exactly what happens when we have this new life in Christ, a new mind, a new heart new appetites. But there is also one other thing that God gives us. He gives us a new tongue. That is what He gives to us. And sometimes we fail to realize this, 
And I think this is the reason why James belabors this particular point in chapter 3 because he understood the importance of making people aware that they are now a new creation and that God has given them a new tongue. Now, the tongue is a beautiful gift of God, and one can't possibly imagine what grace human life would have if you and I lost the gift of speech. Now, I don't know if some of you were uh, able to experience the time when we were still watching TV, and it was still black and white, and it was silent, silent movies. How many of you experienced that black and white and silent movies? Raise your hands, please. Uh, don't be embarrassed. I know it shows our age, but you remember that, of course. And you know how later on that kind of a media transitioned into full color TV or full color movies with sound. And you and I know the world of difference between black and white silent movies and full color with sound movies. There is really a world of difference. And so just try to imagine if we were not given by God the gift of speech, our world will not be as beautiful and as colorful as we find it to be if we lost the gift of speech. And so it is a wonderful gift that God has given to mankind. Unfortunately, mankind, of course, has greatly misused this gift such that instead of being a vehicle for edification, for encouragement, and for blessing others, at times it has been used as an instrument of evil. And what James is trying to say to us is, as believers in Christ, understand you have a new tongue. This is the reason I believe why Pastor Walter named his rehab center as new creations. It is somehow to make people aware of this new identity that they now have in Christ. We have a new identity. And I think we need to remind ourselves time and time again because when we forget who we are, whatever gifts God has given to us, we might use it the opposite way that God wants it to be. So this morning, I'd like to talk about the importance of the tongue, and we will see that it is the measure of three things as we see it in this passage, and I'm going to bring it up on the screen for you to see how the sermon will flow. So first of all, we will see in verse 1 that the tongue is the measure of judgment. This is the way by which God will be judging us. He will not be just be judging our actions. He will not just be judging our thoughts and our motives. He will also be judging us by the way we use our tongue. Now, in the second point, this is what I'd like to be able to talk about, the tongue as the measure of spirituality. First of all, what uh, James does is he comes up with the reality that we are all sinners. And so he does not really expect Christians to live perfect lives 
or to have perfect speech at that. But his point is the tongue can actually be used as a way to measure our own spirituality. And I always say this, if you want to know how spiritual you are, here's one of the things you can do. Listen to how you talk. Listen to how you speak. And you will know whether you're spiritual or still immature. We will go to the last point, and here we will talk about the measure of the power of the tongue. And what James does is, first of all, he comes up with an illustration of small things and yet very powerful things, and then he segues into the small but very powerful tongue. And so hopefully, as we study this particular passage, it would somehow make us aware of the responsibility that God has placed upon us to use our tongues in such a way that honor and glory will be given to God. So let's start off, first of all, with a measure of judgment as we find it in verse 1. Let's take a look at verse 1 once again. Allow me to read. It says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Now, when you read this particular passage, I think there are a number of questions that might be running in your mind. In fact, when I was reading this particular passage, there were several questions that I had to ask. And one of those questions was this, who are the teachers here? Now, initially, of course, when we talk about teachers, most especially in the Christian circles, what do we normally think about? We think about Bible teachers or Bible professors, or maybe we think about pastors. Maybe that's what we think about. But that is only partly true. In fact, if you say, who are the teachers here, and you say that it's only the pastors and Bible teachers, I would like to say that that is a wrong statement. I believe that what James is talking about here, he is talking about everybody. Because we all are teachers in one sense. So do not ever think that this is just referring to Bible professors, Bible teachers, or pastors, teachers. No, friends, this is talking about each and every one of us. This is relevant for each and every one of us. Because as I mentioned to you, we all teach in one way or another. We might be teaching our children how to live their lives. We might be teaching a classmate as we counsel him. Perhaps that classmate of us, of ours, has a problem and is consulting us and we're giving some answers. What you're doing there is you're actually mentoring that person. You're actually teaching that person. If you are a boss, obviously, if you are a Christian boss, not only do you share about job descriptions, but you get to share values of integrity and hard work. And obviously, at times, you would use the Bible as your primary reference. So we are all teachers, in fact. And so let me just prove my point by sharing to you one passage just to cite to you one occasion wherein it tells us that we are actually teachers. Parents are actually teachers. Let's take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 7. And what does it say here? 
it goes, you, referring to the parents, you shall teach them, referring to the children, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit down or when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So we're not talking about formal education here. This is not classroom teaching, but this is casual mentoring of our children. We try to look for preaching points so that we might be able to share God's Word, God's commandments, God's principles, God's precepts to them. And what we are actually doing is forming their young minds so that as they grow up, they grow up with those values. Those values will help them on making correct decisions in their lives. Hopefully, as you share the Bible to them, they might accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But I think just by reading this particular verse, that already illustrates the point of what I'm saying. We are all teachers, and we're either bad teachers or we are good teachers. There's nothing in between. And so here's my question. When you teach somebody, how do you teach that person? And when you teach friends, the question again that I'd like to ask is, what instrument, uh, what human instrument do we actually use when we are teaching? And of course, a lot of us would say, well, it is the tongue. The tongue is used as an instrument of God for instruction. Now, here's another question that I would like to ask in view of what James says here, because in verse 1, the beginning phrase goes, let not many of you become teachers. So the question is, is this verse or is James trying to discourage us from teaching? I'd like to say that this is not the case. James is using a common figure of speech which is called irony or biting sarcasm. Now, what is sarcasm? Is actually stating certain things with the opposite in mind. So he is actually trying to make a case. And what he is saying is, this does not mean that we are not to fulfill our calling to teach, but to understand that together with teaching comes great responsibility. There is great responsibility. Again, I make mention of the tongue. The tongue is used as an instrument of God for instruction. So if we are going to use it for instructing people from the Word of God, then it's a good thing. And so the point is, if we use it for good, then therefore we cannot use it for evil. Our tongues, listen well, cannot have a dual citizenship. Can I say it again? Our tongues cannot have a dual citizenship. But sometimes we do not know our identity as believers in Christ. And sometimes the way we talk could oftentimes be worse than how an unbeliever actually speaks. We need to understand that we have been given this new life. 
We have been given this new mind. We have been given this new heart. We have been given new appetites. And we have likewise been given a new tongue. Remember that the Lord Jesus Christ said that we will be judged by every idle word that comes out of our mouth. And what Jesus is really trying to say there is we need to be responsible. We need to be responsible with our speech. This responsibility would cause us to enter into stricter judgment before God. That's the whole point of James. As the Bible teaches, to whom much is given, much is required. In the classic book, Pilgrim's Progress, which every Christian should actually read, John Bunyan describes a character in that book named Talkative. And he describes him as a saint abroad and a devil at home. A saint abroad and a devil at home, which reminds me of a pastor's wife who was listening and was mesmerized by her husband's preaching behind the pulpit. And when the pastor came down from the pulpit and sat down with his wife, the wife said, you know what? You should always be behind the pulpit. And the pastor was greatly puzzled by the statement of his wife, and he asked, why? Why do you think I should be behind the pulpit all the time? Because when you're behind the pulpit, you look like an angel. When you are at home, you're like the devil. And, you know, that sobered him up. But sometimes, isn't that true of us? We find so much inconsistency with us. Sometimes Christians live very inconsistent lives. And this inconsistency can sometimes be seen in the way we speak. That's why we need to be careful. Which brings us to my next point that the tongue is actually the measure of spirituality. Let's take a look at verse 2 right now and let's read verse 2. It goes, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to brittle the whole body as well. Now, I'd like you to take note of the pronoun that James uses here. He uses the pronoun we, which only means one thing. He was including himself. He did not have this holier-than-thou attitude, basically stating that I'm holy, don't touch me. You are all unholy and wicked. No, that's not what he's saying here. He includes himself. And this is what one Bible scholar by the name of Lenski calls James' great confession of sin. Now, this is something you will notice with the apostles. When they write their epistles, they never speak with a holier-than-thou attitude. They always include themselves. Paul himself confessed that before he learned contentment, he was a covetous person. So they do not somehow whitewash whatever things are wrong in their lives, they confess it. And James is confessing the fact that we all stumble in many ways. Now, some people, unfortunately, are not willing to confess that they do stumble, that, do, that they do fail, and that they are weak in some areas. I recall one doctor, uh, he was with some friends, and it so happened that he was... Uh, 
he was in a hotel filled with a lot of mirrors. And that was the way the architecture went in that hotel. So he was sitting on a table together with some of his friends, and they were chit-chatting. And then he noticed, he, he looked and glanced uh, to the side, and he noticed that there was somebody who was staring at him, staring at their group. Now, because he was nearsighted and he did not bring his glasses, he could not quite recognize this person who was staring at him. But in so far as he was concerned, it seemed like a very unfriendly look. It seemed like a very angry look. And so he, he kept on looking and the man kept on staring. And so he became so irritated with that, and he felt that maybe the, this person is eavesdropping on us, listening to our conversation. So he started to talk to his friend, and he said, you know what? We need to tone down our talk because they might be listening. And so his friends looked on the side, and actually, to their surprise, uh, this doctor was not really seeing another group of people, he was seeing a reflection of himself on the mirror. He did not see who it was. Why? Because he was nearsighted. But it is an illustration of us sometimes that we are unable to see sin in ourselves. We're unable to see our failures. We're unable to see our weaknesses. But friends, let me just tell you this. One of the ways wherein you and I can experience deliverance in our lives is to acknowledge that we are sinners, to acknowledge our weaknesses before God. It is only then and only then that God can help us. Remember that the Lord Jesus Christ said that it is those who are sick that need a physician. But those who are well do not need a doctor. What was he talking about? Well, he was talking about the Pharisees and the scribes. The Pharisees and the scribes thought to themselves that they did not need any deliverance of any sort. Why? Because they thought that they were upright people. They thought that they were righteous people. And because of that, they did not feel a need that they needed a Savior. And that's why Jesus Christ was rejected by them. Why? Because they felt they were well. But the prostitutes were receiving Christ. The tax gatherers were receiving Christ. The sinners were receiving Christ. Why? Because they knew they were sinners. They knew they were spiritually sick and that they needed spiritual healing. That's why it is so wonderful here that James includes himself. He humbles himself before the people whom he was writing to, to serve as an example that we do need to acknowledge our sins. We do need to acknowledge the fact that we do stumble. And only in acknowledging and only in crying out for help from God can God actually help us. And this is the powerful lesson that you and I see in this particular passage. The word stumble, by the way, in its literal sense, conveys the picture of a foot striking an obstacle so that you trip. And you and I have probably experienced that. We're walking, and then all of a sudden, we are unable to notice a rock, and we trip over it. We stumble. 
And James is saying here, we stumble in many ways. Not just in some ways, but we do stumble in many ways. It is just that sometimes we're not aware. Just like the sin of the tongue. Sometimes we're not really aware that we sin against God. That we are sinning against other people. We're not aware of it. So many ways here suggests both quantity and variety of sins. Now, James is not saying this so that we may excuse and exonerate ourselves. James is saying this so that we become careful. Because sometimes we're not careful with our walk. That's why we trip. That's why we stumble. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that we need to guard our hearts because our hearts is the wellspring of life. Again, He is cautioning us here. He is telling us you need to be alert. You need to be focused because the enemy is going to try and destroy you. The thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy Satan knows our weaknesses. He knows where to hit us. He knows where you and I are vulnerable. When you and I are given to temper, for example, guess what the devil does? Well, he sends us people who will irritate us and who will provoke us. And so at times, we have outbursts of anger. If you are a person who happens to be very proud and very egotistical, guess what Satan would probably do? He'd probably send you people who would flatter you and tell how great and how, how beautiful or how handsome or how eloquent or how charismatic you are. That's what he will do. He knows exactly where you are weak. That's why the point of James here is admitting and acknowledging the fact of, and the reality of sin so that God could help us. And then he goes on and segues into an understanding of spiritual maturity. He says that spiritual maturity is determined in one's ability to control his tongue. So let's read once again verse 2. He says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, what exactly was, was James talking about here when he was saying perfect? Can we actually live a perfect life? No, he's not talking about sinless perfection here. The word perfect here comes from a Greek word that actually speaks about spiritual maturity. So what he is saying here is that if you are able to control your tongue, which is actually difficult, then that means that we will be able to control the other passions of our body. Now, you and I know that there are passions in our body that are are ungodly, and they need to be put under control. Some people have very strong passions towards lust, for example. And I think I did mention to you the statistics that the Philippines right now has been for four straight years the leading country in trying to access a porn hub, pornographic material for four straight years, we're number one. So obviously, there is something that needs to be arrested. 
And Pastor Walter was saying that he suspects that even a lot of Christians may be struggling with pornography. Now, how do you control those passions? How do you control passions of anger? How do you control covetousness, for example? How do you control lust? And James gives us wise advice. He is saying here, if you are able to control your tongue, you will be able to control your other passions as well. Because one of the most difficult things to control is the tongue. Let me say it again. One of the most difficult things to control is the tongue. We always have this itch to somehow talk in such a way that does not glorify and honor God. But it is something that at times we have difficulty in controlling. And there are many ways actually we can misuse our tongue. We can tell an off-color story, for example, or we can tell green jokes. And that is not at all glorifying and honoring God. As the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when you speak a lot about green jokes, when you talk a lot about green jokes, what does that reflect on your heart? It's probably reflecting a heart that is quite lustful. We can also misuse our tongue by uttering profanity in a time of anger. I recall Leonard Greenway commenting on the tongue. He wrote this. He goes, There is an ancient fable about a monster known as Proteus who had the power of assuming many shapes and appearances. He could become a tree or a pebble. He could be a lion or a dove. He could be a serpent or a lamb. He seemed to have little difficulty in passing from one form into another. That fabled creature according to Leonard Greenway, reminds me of the human tongue. It can bless or curse. It can express praise or whisper slander. It can speak a word of encouragement or spread the poison of vindictive hatred. Again, sometimes we see that the tongue seems to have a dual citizenship. Sometimes we can also misuse the tongue by passing on gossip. And and gossip is, is big in the Philippines. And how do I know it's big? Because it has many advertisers. Think about the talk shows that we have. I mean, those talk shows, you will notice, have a lot of commercials. I came from the world of advertising. That's my background. And what I know is that when you have many advertisers, it means that that show has a very large audience. And what what, what has a very large audience in our country aside from sports? Well, talk shows. Well, talk shows are not really talk shows. They're more gossip shows. At times when you listen to these talk shows, there's nothing really intelligent that is being talked about. Sometimes they're talking about the affair of one actor or the affair of one actress and the love triangle that is taking place or the intrigues, the scandals that are taking place, the the sex videotape that was shown. This is what's being talked about. Nothing intelligent is actually being talked about, but people like to listen to gossip. People like to hear about other people's lives. 
even when other people's lives are being messed up as a result of that, it is so unfortunate. I recall a businessman by the name of R.G. Letterneau, a well-known Christian businessman who passed away, and his specialty was in the manufacturing of earth-moving equipment. I mean, those heavy equipment that you see uh, in construction sites, those are the kinds of things that he does. And I recall that he had a salesman who was really very witty, and so uh, one person uh, asked this salesman what this particular equipment was, because this equipment was uh, given the name G, the letter G. And so uh, this prospective buyer became intrigued and said, why did you name that equipment G? And the salesman was quick on the trigger, and this is what he said, the G stands for gossip. Because like a tail-bearer, this earth-moving machine moves a lot of dirt and moves it very fast. Isn't that what gossip is? It moves a lot of dirt and it moves it very quickly. And sometimes we fail to realize this. When we, when we engage in gossip, we could actually mess up somebody's life. We could actually mess up somebody's reputation. And oftentimes when we gossip, we don't even go through the extent of verifying whether what we heard are factual or not. Sometimes we just want to talk because it's intriguing and it's, it's, it's something that people want to talk about. My friends, let's be responsible. I recall an elderly gentleman who told this story when he was a young boy. He recalled this story about his, uh, about his mom. And the story goes something like this. He goes, one day, when I was about eight years of age, I was playing beside an open window while our neighbor confided to my mother a serious problem concerning another person. When our visitors were, were gone, my mother realized that I had heard everything. I heard everything they said. And so my mother went to me and she said, if Mrs. Brown had left her wallet here just now, would you give her wallet to somebody else? And the answer of the eight-year-old boy, of course, was, why, of course not, mom. And so the mom replied, well, Mrs. Brown left something more precious than that. That story she told could hurt many people and could cause much unhappiness. It still belongs to her. That story belongs to her. And we shall not pass it on to anyone. Do you understand? And this eight-year-old boy grew up understanding the responsibility of holding things in confidence, most especially when people are seeking our counsel. You know, they go to us because they trust us. And we can only share something if we are given or granted permission to share it. And, and sometimes we are not careful. Sometimes we are in the distribution business. We distribute stories everywhere. 
And friends, that's not a good thing to do. At times, our problem could be reporting dishonest half-truths or even exaggerations. I don't know if you've noticed this. How many have gone to the dentists? All right. All right, just a few. The rest have cavities. Anyway, I'm just kidding. I'm sure you've been to a dentist. I recall one patient who talked to his dentist and said, uh, well, the dentist said, you, you need some filling, uh, you need some filling in, in your teeth because there are some cavities. And the doctor, the, the, the dentist said, but don't worry, it's just a little filling that you need because it's just a small cavity. And the patient goes, well, you know what, doc, when I, when I try to touch those cavities with my tongue, it seems like they're not small cavities. It seems like they're big cavities. And the dentist said, well, there's one thing you need to understand. The tongue has a tendency to exaggerate. Isn't that true sometimes? Sometimes we just exaggerate stories. I mean, to make us look good, perhaps, or to make other people look bad. We have that tendency. And again, we cannot do that. And so, maturity is measured by the way we talk. So, if you want to find out how mature you are, how spiritual you are, just listen to yourself. Maybe record yourself. You know, you have your phones have, you know, you have recording systems, right? And maybe just, just try to record yourself for about an hour. And then listen to yourself. And you will find out if you are spiritual or not. The point of James is it is a measure of our spirituality. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why, again, friends, we need to be careful. Because when we are not careful, we are showcasing at times our own spiritual immaturity to people. That's why you want to find out the maturity of a person. Just pay attention to this person. Just listen to him. Be a listener. And you will know exactly where this person is. Now, James segues now to the measure of the power of the tongue in verses 3 to 5. And he talks about an illustration of small things and yet powerful things. Let's start off with verse 3 at this time. It says, now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Now, con to control the body of the horse as to where it should go, you need to put a bit in its mouth. And you could actually direct where the horse goes. You could, by, by pulling um, the strings, you could bring it to the left. You could bring him to the right. You can make him stop by pulling the rope. You can let him go and run fast, depending on what you want to do. And all it takes is the bit in the mouth of the horse. It's a small thing. And yet, this small thing is able to direct and control the body of the horse. What's the point here of James? Control the tongue, and you control your other passions. Could you say this to your neighbor, please? I want you to remember this. Control your tongue, 
and you control the passions of your body. Say it again, please. Control your tongue, and you control the passions of your body. All right? Start with the basics, and you will be able to handle the others. Look at verse 4 at this time. It goes, look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Now, you might be asking how large were the ships at that time because James is talking about large ships here. Well, you remember the, the shipwreck that Paul experienced at sea? The ship that he was riding on could contain something like 276 passengers. So that's quite big. I mean, not as big as the cruise, light, uh, cruise light liners, but it, it's quite big if it could contain 276 people. But you know what controls it? Just a small rudder, just a small one. So small doesn't mean insignificant. Small doesn't mean irrelevant. Small doesn't mean powerless. In fact, this small thing, the rudder, is able to affect the whole ship in the same manner that the tongue actually affects the way we live. It, is able, it affects the way you take control of your passions. So when you are able to control your tongue, you are, in fact, developing some good habits. And those habits will somehow have a domino a, a positive domino effect on the other passions that you have that need to be brought under control. So finally, we find James basically stating about the small but powerful tongue in verse 5. It says, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Small doesn't mean insignificant. I recall in the NBA, a player who was five foot three. Some of you probably still recall him. Muggsy Boggs is his name. Five foot three in the land of the giants, in, in, in a professional basketball league that had an abundance of seven-footers and, and six-footers, you have a five-foot-three dwarf playing the game of giants. But he stayed long in the NBA. Why? Because he was quick, because he was strong, because he was a shooter, because he could defend taller guys. He could steal the ball away from him, from them rather. And so, again, small doesn't mean insignificant. The same thing is true with the tongue. Small things and small people can actually bring a whole world of difference. This is true with the tongue, which can actually do great things. And sadly, sadly, sometimes the great things that tongues, that our tongue does, is sometimes in the area of damage. That's why James says here, See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Let me tell you the story of an army officer. Nothing can be more devastating than a prairie fire. 
and one of the worst on record was started inadvertently by an army officer who was stationed at Fort Hayes, Ohio. He and some friends had been hunting wild turkeys and had paused for a few moments to rest. While they were relaxing, the officer touched a match to some dry grass to, to produce a little spectacle. He never dreamed that dreadful consequences would follow this thoughtless act. Within minutes, the entire area was ablaze, and the men were powerless to stop it. The flames, fanned and driven by a strong wind, raged furiously and swept rapidly across the prairie. The fire burned up everything that stood in its path. Thousands of acres of land, homes, and buildings, and countless heads of livestock. As you can well imagine, the tragic ruin and loss caused by that single act of carelessness brought untold grief and heartache to the one responsible as well as to many, many others. Well, you probably heard the news of the California fires, how it damaged a lot of homes and how it brought weeping and grief to a lot of people living in California. But you know what? When the whole forest, when, when the huge forest was burned down, there came an outpouring of rain. And because there, was, there were no more trees that, that could hold the water, the, war, the water actually produced a, a gigantic mudslide and it killed about 20 people. All because of a little spark. All because of a little fire that was started. Friends, James is really trying to sober us up. He's trying to wake us up from the weaknesses that we have. And he's trying to tell us, you need to be aware that you are sinning against God. You need to be aware that with your speech, you could actually mess up some lives. You could damage some people. You could damage the reputation of somebody. You could, you could damage a family. You could damage a marriage. You could damage children. You could damage even a church. You could damage an institution if you're not careful. And so James is saying that we need to be careful because we are right now a new creation. God has given us a new mind. He has given us a new heart. He has given us new appetites. And He has given us a new tongue. So let this tongue that God has given to us be an instrument for His honor and His glory. Let it be used to build up people. Let it be used to encourage people. Let it be used to comfort others. Let it be used to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let it be used that it might be a mighty instrument, a way by which the world that we are living in gets changed by the power of the Holy Spirit because we use the tongue for His honor and for His glory. Friends, let me just tell you, it is a small thing. Give the Lord a big hand. The tongue is a small thing. And let me tell you, it was the tongue of a preacher that brought me to my knees and made me accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It was the human tongue 
that shared the gospel to you so that you came to this realization that you needed Christ, that you needed God in your life. And it was through the instrument of that human tongue, whoever that person was, that you came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It is this tongue, my dear brothers and sisters, that actually could change the spiritual climate and environment and culture of a city and a nation. That's why we have to be responsible right now. Most especially when some politicians start cursing and speaking bad words. People laugh at that right now. People are no longer scandalized when, when they hear foul and bad language, a lot of cursing. And they're no longer bothered by that. And a lot of people, in fact, find it humorous that people curse, that people talk bad, that there's foul language coming out. And friends, let me tell you, it's not going to help us. What will change this nation, what will change the church, is that when you and I become responsible with our speech, the tongue is so important that we have seen it to be a measure of judgment, a measure of spirituality, and a measure of power. Let us then use the tongue for the glory and the honor of God. Amen. Please give the Lord a big hand, please.